Hey, welcome back everybody to my podcast. First things first, I'm growing a beard. I may look a little bit odd compared to how I used to look, but I thought that's the time to do it. So why not? This episode is brought to you by ProBalls.com. If you're interested in researching and looking at statistics and player profiles, ProBalls.com is the place to be with over 70 leagues around the world. Also newly added NCA teams. So just check it out. This episode features... Sergio Scariolo, as you can recognize according to the thumbnail that's up there. If you really are into basketball and really into uh, tactics, really into communication, this was the episode to listen to. We talked about the invention of the Spanish pick and roll, which I've never heard before. The story, uh, the background, goes it goes way back. So it's very interesting to hear that one. I was shocked. Uh, also, the communication with players, the communication with stars or not stars, if he differentiates it or not, it's up to you to listen to it and see what he says about it. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, you will also enjoy the previous one with Boris Diaw. We talked a lot about lifestyle, traveling, coffee, all the good stuff. So check that one out as well. Thanks for being here and talk to you soon. Bye. Coach, welcome to my podcast. Uh, you're welcome and uh, pleasure, pleasure. Uh, talk basketball with a, with a great basketball guy as you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. After so many years competing against each other, now we, we get to we get to communicate about basketball, talk basketball, and uh, maybe reminisce a little bit too, because I have a question there as well. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm ready. Uh, but first, first I wanted to start. Uh, do you know who the Celtics played yesterday? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, the Raptors had to suffer again. <laughs> but they competed, man. They they were there. They 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 did it several times this year. Unfortunately, most of those times uh, they they couldn't make it. But uh, yesterday also against a you know top team like like the Celtics, they were not far, not far. So I think they are on the right way. Probably um, a little bit farther than where they they were they were imagining or thinking or, or, or planning to be at this point but uh i think they are on the way yeah we are all in in different paths right now both franchises so i think it's it's normal that right now if we would have played six years ago five years ago you know it would have been a little bit different cars had a little bit a little bit different situation i think but in terms of in terms of last night and our situation, we're uh, we're moving forward. <laughs> After that, um, you know, there is a lot of things that people can read about you online, about your your achievements, and I always tell my guests, "May the achievements rest in peace." Uh, in this podcast, because I I also I value the people first of all, so I want to I want to talk to to the people always as a person. And I was wondering, who is Sergio Scariolo off the court? Who is the the person, Sergio? What what defines you as a person what do you do off the court well uh it's hard to define uh oneself i mean i i, I consider myself as a white of a of a quiet i mean of a, of a uh home oriented guy i like to stay home i have a beautiful place where i live and i actually enjoy it more than ever, uh, I do sport. I, I love to do sport. I never stop. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit uh, um, nervous as I always think into something different to do or new or, or or study something or analyze or watch. 
I am in permanent uh, movement, but at the same time, I, I like to enjoy simple things like friends, family. Um, I'm not not fond of uh, very sophisticated hobbies. Just just do sport. I love uh, golf. I love paddle. I watch sport, and of course, I watch a lot of basketball. That's that's yeah. my that's basically my hobby. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's good when your hobby is your job too. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Do you do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? If you say you're learning, and you uh, you because I feel like that also impacts the profession, whatever profession, not necessarily basketball, whatever profession you have, it impacts your job because of what you learn off the court, what you learn about history, about culture. It also, you can apply those things within coaching specifically. You can apply with how to handle players situation, recognizing situations. Definitely. I try at least. I try to learn. I try to learn every day. I try to learn uh, from basketball people in, in watching basketball stuff. But mostly I try to learn from, uh, you know, regular life situations, um, from TV, from uh, commercials, from books, from uh, quotes, from uh, friends who make, make uh, you know, put out a, a, a thought and uh, you, you, you know, kind of digest it and, and, and then you, you make something of it. I mean... I try to to get something uh, good every day from from to learn something something new from from every situation I might step into. I think it's it's in our nature to analyze, right? Uh, analyzing, over analyzing, thinking, and always kind of putting in more context in each situation, and then it kind of you start reflecting, and then you start recognizing situations in your job that you can apply those lessons to it, you know. And there's a lot of things that I, because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read books, but I, I listen more to podcasts. And there's a lot of things that come up. And I was like, oh, I, I write it down because I can apply that to when I talk to a player, when I talk to a coach. And then there's certain things that can really cross cross culturally or cross job, uh, crossing with different job professions. You can you can apply those things. I definitely agree. And, and even something which is nothing, which has nothing to see with, with sport, with basketball, um, several times I, I catch myself uh, thinking, hey, this, this is a good way to communicate to someone else this different concept, uh, but in a different way, in an original way, in a way which can, you know, uh, wake up uh, their curiosity or attention in a, in a kind of a um less conventional way of communicating between between basketball people so communication is a good hint because i have a couple of things written down and communication is obviously everybody who listens to the podcast they know that i'm i'm a communication freak but communicate communicating with stars and in there's no secret in your if we if we focus on the national team in spain there's been it's been a star, lot of stars throughout each summer the communication, do you communicate differently with stars than you do with role players? Do you communicate, do you approach the star a little bit different? Because there's also this argument between double standard or no double standard. And you kind of all in the same boat, but also not, because there's a lot of pull that you give to the stars, less so than to the role players. And then there's a lot of communication that has to happen away of, from, from the court. And I'm wondering of how, how you approach stars. What did you, what did you experience within, within your career? 
honestly, I don't feel I'm approaching different in the in the respect. I I I feel I I am due to show to everyone basically the same. Of course, uh, the the let's say the topic, the substance of what you are you are communicating is, is different, and and there is where you need to to find the right way to to communicate to a different person rather than to another one. I mean. I wouldn't put it the two, just the two groups or stars and role players. I think that every single player is different. Every single person is different, and and you cannot make a group of stars thinking that all the stars think the same, or or role players think the same. And even uh, you might you might recall that uh, a role player now used to be a star and was able to adjust to a different role aging. And, and and getting getting you know in a in a position where he's not able to do the same things uh physically, athletically, which he was able to do before. Now he adjusted to a different position. And I have a few of them. I had I had a few of them. I think the, the most important thing is this to listen and to create the right atmosphere, uh, to make them feel free to tell you what they really think, what they really feel, not what you want to hear. Um if if you are if you learn which because it's not easy uh, how to become a good listener, then you are in a good spot because they will give you the keys to to touch their their inside uh, cords and and to get to their soul, to get to their heart, and and to be really uh, efficient in your communication because uh, the motivation in the in many different. Uh, let's say part of the communication. Um, you cannot treat people like like everybody's the same. You have to understand what is is really driving that specific person. What is driving that? And you you can get there only if you are uh, able to listen patiently, uh, attentively, uh, respectfully. And uh, uh, if you really create a relationship, an atmosphere between you and the guy, where, as I was saying before, he's really uh, feeling like he's free to open his his heart and his soul because he trusts you as someone loyal and as someone who never do a bad use of of uh, what he's gonna tell you. Yeah, that's that's something that when you say you. They know that you're listening. They know that the, the most important thing, I think, is not only for for a player but for a person to feel like they understood, they're being heard. Then the respect level, also in mutual respect, rises. Then in turn, they also play for you, not only for the team but also for you because they respect you as a person first of all. So it's, I think, like you said, it's more between two people communicating, not between the, the coach and the player per se, but it's two people talking with each other. And and to me, the the thing that sometimes stands out, or sometimes that you, I notice myself during practices, during games, it's a different dynamic. But during practices, looking for signals, you know, and there's a lot, a lot of signals that you can see in the body language, in the players' approach, and the players communicating with others within the team. And uh, I was wondering if you if you see those signals also, and what signals are important to you when you feel like you have to have a conversation. Well, I try. Well. This is different in a, in a private conversation rather than in in practice, where basically 
the body language is more natural. I mean, there is no room for uh, something too uh, structured or 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 uh, purposely uh, put out. You know, right there they are running, they are they are jumping, they are shooting, they are playing defense, so they are they are really showing their natural face, right? In, a, in an individual um, communication, they might be a little bit more in, in a defensive stance uh, and they have more time to, to react uh, in, a, in a more uh, rational way. So uh, you, you need to interpret those, those signals. And uh, basically, uh, I try to look into their eyes because their eyes... The, eye, the eyes are, are a little bit uh, more difficult to to manipulate. I mean, you can you can use your head, you can use your 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 shoulder, you can use your your mouth, but the eyes are are, are, are really the ones who who who, who always I consider them as persons, right? Who always tell the truth. So um, I'm trying to to establish that that I contact, and I'm trying to establish it. Let's say an atmosphere where they feel that you are that you are really carefully listening, that you are willing to to learn from them, to to find out what 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 is in their what is uh, concerning them, what is pushing them, what is what is uh, you know what is in their head, with the the full guarantee that I will um, think over it and I will really show them that I'm really uh, think about a, a serious and and uh, and then let's say an answer which makes sense, which can be not exactly what they would like to receive as an answer, because this is out of question. You can't, I mean, listen and be a good listener doesn't mean that, that, that you're going to become uh, someone who would give them, uh, tell them they are right every time. But the respect you have to show, even when you feel that they are not right, must be always there. Because what I think is is really hurting relationship is the lack of respect. And and sometimes uh, you have to be careful because you are not meaning to to, to me respect something. But and there when it's where it comes that that uh, people knowledge you got to know. If someone is more sensitive, more, more, um, you know, uh, someone who get hurt easier, or someone who can stand more, can stand the joke, maybe at times, or maybe not, maybe not in that specific moment. I mean, that's when when you have to be extremely uh, pay attention that what you want to express, it is what they will definitely receive. As, as, as a feeling of, of uh, the real meaning of the message. Can we stop here once yeah, second? Yes, yes, yeah. Okay, okay. Just make this call. Play again. So have you have you had a situation where you tell the player, let me think about that and I'll get back to you when you have a Definitely. situation? Yeah. Definitely, especially in practice. Especially in practice, they want an answer in three seconds and a half <laughs> about something which is important and which can uh, have an impact 
on on what they are they are doing, what we are doing as a team. So sometimes I more than once, more than once I I, I get to hey, uh, give me give me give me some time to think over, and and I will get back to you. Uh, later or tomorrow and i always try to get back with something which is meaningful which yeah. which as i was saying before not necessarily no you're right uh i could i could come back and say okay i understand and i hear you i heard you and i know what you're saying that but listen um this is my point of view and this is the reason why i'm not fully agreeing with it right but it definitely happened and uh, and i don't i don't care i don't feel like I am, I am not at the eight of the circumstances. If I if I give an answer like that, so because there's a lot of young coaches also listening, and young and up and coming probably head coaches. When you were a young head coach and you had the first situations come to you, how long did it take you to kind of understand the significance of the answer or the significance of the question, rather? Because there's a lot of things that you do about trial and error, and if you don't think about it deeper on the below the surface. You can, there's some mistakes that are hard to correct later on. So that there's a lot of things that I'm wondering of when when uh, when the moment came or was there a moment or was it just kind of like introspective communication where you were aware of what you were saying right away? Well, it's different to, to establish a specific moment, but uh, it definitely happened when you do a mistake or when you are able to elaborate and analyze uh what you did and you get to the conclusion that you did something wrong wrong because you could have avoided that mistake mm -hmm. you could have avoided that specific mistake with the information and with the tools you had in your hands back then not afterwards because afterwards everybody's able to avoid mistakes i mean yeah. i mean the real mistake is the one which you could have avoided the, uh given the the previous circumstances before making that statement or making that decision um, and if you are able to to be honest with yourself to, to to be able to say to yourself that was wrong you missed an opportunity you had to, to fix that because <coughs> that that need to be fixed then is when that becomes a habit and when it's a habit of, of re-elaborate what you have done or or you know, analyzing with the uh, kind of a, an objective view afterwards what, what you have done with that specific, uh, let's say, filter. Like, could I have done something different according to what I knew at that point? Or that was that was make, making sense, but then, unfortunately, it turned into a bad decision, right? That kind of... A, I used to... <coughs> to Talk a lot with myself, and 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 I think that the best way to to get better. It definitely <laughs> is. It, it, we're we're all self-critical, very very much so. And because if you want to be, I mean, there's a sense of perfectionism also, because you always want to do the right thing, say the right thing, and 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 nothing has to be, nothing can be taken lightly. And I always say, and I, I would like to hear your opinion of how important it is to admit to mistakes to players, to say that it's your mistake, it was my mistake, and whether it's in the game and practice, and you kind of, you kind of go back and, and you know, I think that raises the respect level, honestly, that it, you, as long as you don't keep making the same mistake over and over. But I think that coaches also have to have the right to make to admit to mistakes. 
I agree. But let me get back to the point. I think that, uh, yes, you, you need to be able to be self-critical. Uh, at the same time, you must be careful that your perfectionism doesn't become, um, I would say, a disease or, or, mm -hmm. or, a, or a way to make it more complicated to yourself, to the players, to, to other people. That you you got to try to be uh, correctly self-critical in a, in a, in a because I mean I was I used to be over critical with myself and then I learned to handle it in a better way in a more objective way. Uh, there are people who might who might be not critical at all, which is another big mistake. Maybe even even worse possibly, but. The balance, even in this, is is the right is the right point where where you have to aim to. Uh, and and then I absolutely agree. I mean, I I I, uh, I learn that uh, when you do it, this is not something which should affect your your self esteem or 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 your uh, confidence or your, your credibility. Absolutely the opposite. As you said, you cannot make or repeat the same mistakes over and over, but especially in the personal relationship, telling that, hey, I did it in the right way. I said it in the right way. I, I would not mean it that. My, my mistake, my fault. Uh, in a practice dynamic, you cannot keep, keep saying my fault, my mistake. I mean, you had to be, you had to be, sometimes you had to you know, turn your head to the, other, to the other side, not only on player mistake, also on your own mistakes. And say, okay, let's move on. And maybe I will get back to the guy at the end of the practice and tell him, listen, Remember when uh, I told you that uh, it was it was a bad bad commentary for definitely, but uh, saying that was especially uh, in teams team meetings or in after game individual meetings, being able to admit that something didn't didn't go well because of your fault, it's uh, it's a good way to to, to release pressure. From the relationship, from from the atmosphere, to to uh, you know to put yourself in a situation where okay, if you admit your own mistake, then is when you can ask for people to admit their own mistake. I wouldn't say then is when you can criticize other people because that's that's easy. To when you can get to a point where they can admit their own mistake in front of themselves in front. Of, of the rest of the, their teammates and in front of you. This is a fascinating subject, and I could talk about this all, all day long because there's so many dynamics, so many thoughts that come to my mind, but there's some other things that I wanted to touch on, and there's some something that maybe you've heard of the Michelangelo effect or Michelangelo phenomenon, as it's called sometimes. Um, I've heard about that, but what... It's, what uh... It's a rare, it's a rare phenomenon, or something that I heard on the podcast. Like I said earlier, sometimes I, I learn things just on a random, on the go. And the Michelangelo effect, or phenomenon, as it's called, is is based on the story of when Michelangelo was sculpting the the statue of David, and he got a rock, a big stone, and he saw David inside, and he was sculpting it, knowing what's inside. So this is used for as a relationship aphorism because of how the relationship between two people and this this is more related to partnership, 
how they sculpt each other in a positive way. They do it with positive reinforcement because they see the good in the person and they try to sculpt each other as they go along with positive affirmations. I believe this phenomenon or this, this kind of effect also exists in basketball coaching because as soon as I heard it, it made me think about coaching the dynamic between the coaches and the players and how the, the Michelangelo effect can take place between each other. And I was wondering how the players formed you over the course of time and how they impacted you, the shape of you as a coach. Well, definitely. Um, I mean, it's hard to, to answer uh, about what I think I was, was able to, to do impacting us or, or sculpting uh, players because you should ask them, right? Uh, normally, they come back to you after when they quit, when they finish playing, and they come back and thanking you or, or, or telling you, hey, you last week, a guy who I had in, in, uh, in Real Madrid, Stefano Truglia, I don't know if you remember it, but born in 69, is an Italian guy, uh, funny guy, uh, good pointer, national team player, former national team player. I brought him over to Real Madrid and it, it, it was really not performing as we both were expecting. Uh, not bad, but not great. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he sent me he sent me a text after many years. I, I was not uh, in touch with him because we get into a common friend, whatever. I say, Coach, sorry for not being able to to perform as you expected from me. I say, wow, <laughs> that was that was 20, 23, 25 years ago. Like this guy is still, and probably was kind of a cathartical. I mean, he took that off his 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 stomach and and his soul, and he was probably freeing up from from that no but back to to the point for sure i i have been blessed by coaching a lot of great players and this is why <clears throat> it's true that when you coach good players become a better coach if you are able to learn if you are humble enough to learn if you are humble enough to let them express themselves even if sometimes uh they can say something which you don't agree or if they say some bullshit because I consider myself as a good coach I, I said many bullshit in my life and and great players can say bullshit as well I mean not because they, they, they are or they were a great player they can say everything perfect I mean sometimes you can listen to them say this is really really fucked up but at the same time they feel free to tell you. And when they feel free to tell you, you will then, again, elaborate and, and, and catch what is important and what is useful, what is making you get better, or what, what is simply you make you think, what is simply make you think about that and maybe come back uh, or come out with a different solution, different, different outcome, whatever. Uh, but once again, it's true that uh, when... Uh, the basketball IQ and the human quality of the people you have around is high. I mean, it's up to you to become a better a better coach or a better professional or a better person because you have all your tools at hand. If you don't do it, it's because of the fault. There's, 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 it's, uh, it's about reflection and it's about, it's about being able, like, like the player goes back 25 years ago. I mean, there's, 
when you when you're a player, I think there's a lot of ego in place to admit to things and to not to be able to perform that how do you want it? Then you kind of the insecurities creep in. You don't want to admit to things. Later on, when you're maybe more secure, more in peace with the past, then it's a little bit easier to also talk about it. And then kind of you want to be at peace with the other person as well. And it's kind of probably good soothing for the soul. 100%. 100%. One basic uh, or crucial moment for me, my opinion, was when I, I get the feeling that I had uh, put my ego in the right spot and I could uh, separate ego from confidence because mm -hmm. that the, the line is thin you need to feel good in what you do you need to uh act with the decisiveness with the commitment uh, you, i mean as a leader you need to to think over your decision but when you make a decision you gotta be able to to sell them uh with the with the uh, you know full convincement and 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 uh, and having the ability to to carry people with you um but once again it is about uh, the right decision for the good of the team and not for your personal good because it is it is out of question that players have ego and and sometimes that ego uh doesn't allow them to perform and to act in the best way for the good of the team but it's true that coaches have ego as well and and it is it is the difference between ego and and and, and, and confidence and and uh, self security is 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 that in my opinion ego is when you are really putting your own reputation your own image on top of uh, of the team reputation of the team, uh, let's say performance or, or, or result achieved. Um, and and listen, ego. If you learn how to handle your own ego, then you will be in a good position to ask to other people to own their own, to to handle their own, and to tell them this is a, a, a fucking outbreak of of ego. So we don't want this in our team. But if you are putting yourself over and over in a position where they can say, hey, this is his ego speaking, not the person, not the coach, then it's going to be difficult for people to, to give up, to give up part of their, of their uh, you know, expressing or establishing themselves, themselves within a group. Uh, because that's that's not exactly what the, what is suitable and what make uh, cohesiveness uh, get in place for for your team. Mm -hmm. I I totally agree. It's, it's again, there's so much depth to it, um, and I wanted to move on to the next subject because there is something that I also want to do the ProBalls.com segment with you. And let's reflect together a little bit to see what we, what I definitely learned from that game. But also, I'm curious to think what you remember from this game. I'm going to share my screen with you uh, that that uh, people can also check online. Can you see? Can you see my screen? I do. Yep. Pro, Proballers.com. Yeah, yeah, definitely yes. And uh, I'm going to put in Spain national team, and we're going to go to a year. That's significant to both of us. <laughs> and uh, 
this is this is the 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 legendary box score of 2015 final that we played and uh i would like to know your thoughts with you unfortunately we don't have the halftime we don't have the halftime uh box scores but in terms of this uh final box score what do you remember what do you usually look at at the end of the game and if you look at the box score what do you remember from this game what stands out to you well um it's uh, actually it was a game where uh, we were i think we couldn't we couldn't have lost against anyone because the the confidence we we got from beating in the semifinal uh friends in front of uh 20, 27,000 people uh in an overtime game where we were struggling for most of the game gave us gave us a really a, a, a kind of a strength confidence injection that that um, we were feeling like we couldn't lose any 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 other game right so i remember that we were we were quite in control during most of the game and 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 uh, um we were able to to we were quite quite concerned about uh, uh, their their inside game their their you know like JV uh, you know Valentunas uh, about also bigs who could uh, who could post uh, like Kuzminska Machulis but uh, it was uh, it was a game where where you really feel like uh, 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 you have a lot of respect for the opponent so you don't get into the game uh relaxed or i mean in spite of of being so self-confident after beating friend at the same time you have such a high level of respect for the opponent that uh, you don't you don't you're not going to be messing around you're you're going to be preparing yourself you're going to be focused from minute one and then you're going to basically uh, end up uh, uh winning that game and regardless who's going to be the, the top scorer of course Paul played played a great game I remember that uh, we had a we had a few few great action uh, you played a great game had a, a couple of big baskets um so I mean it, it was was it was a final so uh, Chacho played play excellent as well he had a great um uh, handle of uh, of the situation great playmaking you let the I mean we were we were missing many players in in that competition. We were without Margasol. We, we were without uh, Calderon. We were we were without uh, Ricky Rubio. Uh, there were many players out, but we figured it out. We we found a way to to you know have our core players and to build around something which uh, which actually worked. Yeah, and I remember that the assist numbers stand out the most nineteen to to fourteen. I don't think we had big big turnover numbers considering it's a final 13 turnovers is a lot we missed a lot of free throws in this game but the the one thing that stands out is the assist numbers and i remember that the three-pointers don't don't reflect of how many open shots we gave up also through the spanish pick and roll which i would like to get into and uh just to go and go into a normal segment now spanish pick and roll to me was something in that summer that was it was not as present. I saw it throughout the final, throughout throughout the, the games before that, here and there. But I remembered that in the preparation games leading up to the European Championship, we struggled with the Spain pick and roll 
I don't remember which team it was against in the preparation period, but I was wondering in that game, you specifically brought it out a lot of times with different variations, with a lot of situations where it was, you know, it was one time for a drive, then for a kick, and it was different, different, different uh, scheme, different situations you went out of to go into the Spain pick and roll. And that was the killer for us. And I, I was wondering and how far back did you go back into the scouting to to really analyze and see that that was a particular weakness that we had? Well, um, we thought, as I was saying, that uh, that Valanciunas had to be a target for us, not in terms of his weakness, in terms of how important he was uh, inside the team. And so uh, we were we thought we had to to give a hand to Powell in order to to make it to make it uh, to make him get the ball in a, in a more comfortable situation because in a pure one on one you know in the post backing down against Valentino he could he could he could struggle so he, he could got it much more in in, in a, on on a, in a motion in a, in, a, in a couple of lobs uh back picks and and uh, forcing a switch which which freed a couple of three point shots so, um, I mean, uh, we, we, of course, when you find something new and, and you start using it, and, and I can tell you, I start, when I put it first on the floor, that was by to- total hazard. Because I was in Hinky. They had to call it, they had to call it uh, Russian <laughs> because it was <laughs> basically invented, invented in Hinky back in 2009. When I I had a situation where I needed to hide an an extra non shooter from our scheme, or, or because I didn't want a, a double side with uh, a non shooter, we can we could stand a non shooter on the single side on the on the side where the ball was was driving, but we couldn't angle, handle uh, a non shooter on the on the weak side. Right, because the, his man was going to be into the paint, and we were kind of a basically struggled to to hit back then our our big guy Tima Mosgov, who was our our very young, extremely young. Say, I, I got it from the second team probably two months before. So I had this this guy Pongrashov, uh, Mil Palacio, both were were good handlers, strong players, good drivers, not good shooters. And in general, I didn't have many good shooters into this. So I said, once, once something which happened was that uh, uh, Pongrashov on a pickerel by Palacio was caught off guard. He was in the paint. And all of a sudden, he was seeing Moskov running by him. And he, bam, hit, hit his man. And a fantastic alley came up. Palacio hit Moskov with a fantastic alley And I never, I had never, never seen it before. So I said, wow, this is something which could work. Because we, you can put the non-shooter right there, make it the back pick. So that was the, the, the very first uh, time when, when I used it. And then, of course, you had to start elaborating and, and changing and putting people in the right spot. Now we are using it more on, on having the guy setting the screen moving out on an empty side instead of a, of a, a corner side. I mean, then you do many different things and many people work on it and many, many 
great coaches got even better for them. But just to tell you that sometimes uh, something which it became kind of a, uh, I would say, uh, a main action of, of modern basketball can come can really come out from from nothing from from a really really casual situation. You have to be able that's true to to get it to to, to see to watch it. Uh, the guy, I think he didn't even want to set the back. I think he, he, the guy kind of protect himself from the big guy coming strong on him. He said, wow, he's <laughs> hurting me. And that turned into, into a very strong back. Wow. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is the invention of the Spain pick and roll. <laughs> that was... Wow, what a story! I didn't, I did not expect that one. That's great. That's that's uh, that's something that because I was thinking of you know a lot of times coaches see things from other coaches and then they do their own version out of it, like the the Brad Stevens uh, out of bounds play, sideline out of bounds play, where he lobs it over the top and then there's a screen on top. He saw it somewhere else and it's so, but it became the Brad Stevens saddle out of bounds play. He had, he will admit to it that he saw it somewhere else and it's something that that. You know, you always kind of steal from each other, but then accidentally those things happen as well. It's just a matter of recognizing it, reflecting on it. I will tell it. you. I will tell you another story which you will like. Uh, I I think it was in the ninety ninety five probably first first the start of the ninety five season, and we have been we had a player uh, you might recall was Enzo Esposito. He was he played for for the Raptors. He was playing for national team. We played for Caserta many many years. I was coaching Fortitudo Bologna, and this guy was great shooting a three coming off uh, his uh, let's say left side, and was great curling and and going to the hoop coming off his right side. Right, and we were kind of trying to find a way not to not to be so predictable. Then when we were setting screen on that side, he was going to curl so people could. Uh, you know, uh, shoot the gap, for example, or or uh, vice versa on the other side. So during the whole summer with my assistant coach, we were thinking and thinking, and then we came out with the diamond play, with the with the let's say double double ocean play, uh, and we were so proud of it. I don't know if some someone, I mean, the Spanish pick and roll, I'm quite quite sure, but about this, I'm not really sure. I had never I had never seen it before, but I cannot say. If something someone before did right, um, what we had to to put it. We, let's say we hide it dur during the whole preseason. We had to play Milan, coached by uh, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni back then with Antonello Riva, another great player, great shooter, great, great shooting guard, who was exactly the same. Great shooter of on one side, great driver on the other. One. So the very first play, we put up our diamond play. In the very first play, they put up the diamond play. And we were like staring to each other. We were laughing as, as, as crazy because it was like, man, we were so proud, so jealous of our invention. <laughs> and you guys were doing the same shit. And now the first play, the first game of the season, you're putting up. So... Basketball, basketball. There are so many great minds who are working on it that you you cannot say take for given that someone somewhere is not doing what you are doing, maybe in a better way. 
Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's hilarious because we both try to hide it, and you both have to have to recognize in the game. Exactly. Uh, we, st we still have a little bit of time. I have I have one more one more topic that I wanted to address, and then I, I will shoot some quick quick hitter questions at you. You have still sure. a couple of minutes. Yeah. So yeah, we have the minute. Yep. Okay. Uh, so the defenses, defensive aspect of the game, because we talked about offense a lot now, but the defensive aspect of the game is to me very intriguing because of Eurobasket two summers ago, and everybody was talking about, it, and I was always, I was always envisioning those those things of in implementing different defenses to mess up the other team's offensive rhythm, to not to let them get a catcher rhythm, to get, catch them off guard, whether it's zone two three zone three two zone box and one. And in different uh, pick and roll defenses, what what do you think? And people who are watching who don't know what I'm talking about, if they watch the 2022 Eurobasket, they will find out. But uh, what what do you think is the limit of how many defenses can you implement? What do you base the limit on? On the roster that you have, do you see the capacity of the players, how much they can handle, or do you see it in a simpler way that you just have it one two possessions and they don't have to know it perfectly, but just to have it in their in your system is fine. So you can have. Because most teams don't, most coaches are afraid to put in more than three different defenses, you know. But if you put in many differences for short spurts, I think you can have a lot. Well, uh, I think that the <clears throat> the answer is going to be a little bit in between. I mean, you need to work on on something, and and you cannot work on five different things thoroughly. Uh, at the same time, um, when you have a mature team, especially at tactically mature team where people are used uh, to, 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 to do different things on defense and uh, they did it maybe with their club teams or what they did it in the, for example, we as a national team, we have a kind of a pyramid where, where we start with the, you know, under, under 12 and we build over, we have something, we have something, the same system, the same principle, uh, you know, aiming to, to the, the, the point where they will get from the U20, U22 to the main team, to the national team, with uh, a good uh, baggage of, of stuff or, 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 or uh, let's say, the system we are using with the main team already digested, already already trained, already repeated and practiced it and, and basically mastered it in a way, right? So when we feel that we can already count on, on a good number of players coming out that that system that several years or working on, on in the same direction, then it's true that you don't need hours and, and, and thousands of reps to make to, to feel confident to use the difference during during a big game. The point it is that you need to have uh, uh, I think uh, the ability to put in Five minutes in a day, four minutes in another day, maybe a shed drill and a shoot around. You know, not not investing thousands of, of, of uh, ton, tons of, of minutes, high volume of time, but refreshing it, putting a new concept. And at the end of the day, when you talk about an alternative, let's say a zone defense, you have to work about what to do uh, on the post catch. And what to do on pickerels according to who's running, who's handling the ball. This is what you had to be absolutely strong and solid in, 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 in knowing how to guard these actions. 
Then there will be several other possibility cuts and, and overloads and whatever. And you have to figure it out and, and you have to maybe prepare it really quickly in the morning of the game, the day before the game to adjust a little bit, um, picking up something or making a little bit of adjustment and bringing it from a 3-2 to a 2-3 for a way, for, for a wide. Of course, our basis on defense is a 3-2 because we feel that we have uh, a three players, a small forward who can really fit into that. That they've Probably, I mean, we have to be flexible to understand the, the, our our personal skills, right? And then the other difference, which can be boxing one at a time, triangle and two at a time. You know, you need to know how to guard those two situations. Or, I mean, two situations, but of course, pick all as different nuances depending on who, who's guarding the ball. Where, so, and, and if you work a little bit on them, basically every couple of days, you might, you might be, for example, we were, when we were that good, we were preparing something specifically against US team. And we were start practicing it from very early in the training camp and never using it, never using it during, during the, uh, the, the training camp, during the competition. We knew that that was what we were feeling that could work against the U.S. team. And we were able to, to bring it up. But we were putting some minutes every now and then to practice. And mm -hmm. I cannot say, I cannot tell you that it worked. Probably it worked to, to make those uh, real games, like losing by six, losing by seven, losing by... But but uh, um, you had, you don't have proof of the of the opposite, right? I mean, uh, uh, but to tell you how we we think about, I mean, like, let's work on something which is not taking away too much time of your main concepts or or your man to man offense or your man to man defense, which will always make the difference, which will be always uh, you know be the 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 real the real columns. Of your of your structure of your building, but you know you can you can especially when you are like you mentioned the two thousand the 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 twenty twenty two European champion we were feeling like we were eight or ninth in the traditions in the in the, in the you know the polls before before and the, the what people were saying and uh, even experts so we knew that we had to do something different to compete and to be able to. To keep a high level of competition, we couldn't say, "Okay, let's be ourselves. Let's go face to face against anyone." And we were for sure we get smacked hard in our face if we didn't find a way to, to uh, you know, to correct. for example, against Lithuania in that in that uh, in that competition, we were we felt that uh, we get a lot from uh, from our uh, kind of a, uh, alternative other say differences, but at the same time. Probably we were one action short from taking it out. The, the boxing one we were we were uh, running it uh, uh, against Grigonis because we were winning by by two, and and they got us and they, they brought us to overtime with the with the putback with an offensive yeah. event. And for sure, if you play man to man, you control better the box out and the individual responsibility of the defensive rebound. Sometimes it's a matter of when to put it in, when to take it out. And there, it's a, it's a matter of feeling, feeling it in the, during the game. And you, you can make mistakes. That was a mistake. I had to last my last play, even if it worked so well that far, 
had to be had to be a man to man a man to man possession defensive possession interesting so you base it on the foundation that you have throughout the junior system and then you have defensive packages that you can that you can add on depending on the situation depending on the roster <coughs> sorry about that even even depending on on which one is going to be the game mm-hmm. because you know that in a, in a competition you know the more or less against that opponent <coughs> at that point um you will probably have a high odds that uh, uh, that game will determine most of uh, of uh, of the success or the no success your team will have in that competition. You ready for my ATOs, my quick hitters for you? I'm I'm, I'm going to throw them at you. The first thing that comes to your mind that you 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 know or you feel from your experience, expectation from your assistant coaches during the game. Well, I want to have a very very established and and and. Uh, uh discipline and 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 uh, uh organize uh roles i mean i have my my defensive assistant coach which is on my right and is right in, in front of the team and is barking and yelling and 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 and, and uh, you know saying that the, 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 the what they have to do i mean he's he's a screener but of course he's a great coach he's, he's a big part of our defensive defensive plans then i have my <clears throat> my offensive coordinator, right, right on the other side, it is basically suggesting me uh, place and adjustment to the rotation scheme we established before the game. Um, and then we have our third bench assistant coach, who's basically uh, in charge of the special situations. Is basically calling up special situations on the BOB or the SOB plays on, on when 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 the clock stops, and he's also is 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 also good, very good enough to to give us suggestions in the other areas. But this is basically what we have. Then we have a couple of more people behind the bench to to um, uh, to have a, a live stat of our and and our opponent situations efficiency. How how our pick and roll defense is is working when how many possessions what they did when they, we were running this defense or that other defense how, what did what we did against their specific defense which action worked which set plays work I mean the other two are basically during the game especially for the halftime uh, how coaches huddle and and meeting uh, with the, with the team at the halftime this is this is a more or less during the game. Biggest lesson you learn from the NBA that you can coach and and prepare your team without overloading players. Biggest sliding door moment of your career, where your career could have went one way or the other. Um, I I had a few. Definitely, I had a few. Uh, that actually, for sure, when I decided to to move to the NBA. Was was a great move because I was I I responded to the feeling of my of my guts, which were saying you need to go into a full immersion in a game, to forget about agents, journalists, managers, families, and all what is around players. Just you need to merge to to you know uh, dive deep into the pure game of basketball because when you are a head coach you have to take care of so many things and having been a coach for so many consecutive years 
you need a time where you go back there. After so many years, what is still hard in this profession? Well, I think when uh, when you feel that you are not in the same page, on the same page with the player, that's a hard feeling. That's a bad thing. For how much you try, for how much that something is is wrong over there. I didn't have it too often, honestly. But when when you had it, when you have it, uh, it's hard. It's bad. And the last question that I ask every guest that that everybody knows and everybody knows it's from Tim Ferriss. Uh, your favorite failure from your career that you despise, but you learned the most or the biggest lesson from, and you look back on it with a with one happy eye and one, one crying eye. Well, uh, it was not a loss. It was a way of handling a, a situation with a player. This guy was was a close friend of the owner, and uh, uh, I hoped the rest of the players might understand the situation. And be able to be flexible in term of uh, in term of uh, treat this guy different. It was very 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 early in my career, um, and that was wrong. You can't ask other players to to be mistreated or treated not in an equal way uh, f- from the main principle point of view. Be on time, respect, uh, eat the same stuff. Uh, I mean, of course, players are not the same. They don't make the same money. They don't have the same playing time. They don't have the same actions, the same shots. This is something which basketball people understand. What I learned is that they will never understand that human beings can be treated a different way within a group from the from the uh, human point of view, from the behavior point of view. And and I will ne- I never repeated the same mistake. And I think I will never repeat the same mistake and uh, for the, the rest of my career. Coach, muchas gracias, grazie mille. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Benes. Take care. Take care. All the best to, to, our, to our listen coaches. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Take care.